Hello and welcome to the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on October 29th, 2021 from James Island, South Carolina. And I'm using a different microphone setup, so that's why it sounds a little bit different, folks. Just so you know, some of the information in this podcast may have changed by the time you've heard it. This episode features a look at how Governor Henry McMaster wants to spend more than $2.5 billion in federal COVID money. We have a big announcement from Superintendent of Education Molly Spearman, and we hear the latest on Boeing's woes and learn about what it will take to improve the electrical grid as more electric vehicles get produced in the country. And Meg Kennard gives us some insight on her cancer journey as we wrap up Breast Cancer Awareness Month and so much more. Also, happy Halloween. That's right. It's the weekend of spooks and tricks and treats. So let us know what you're doing by leaving us a voicemail at 803-563-7169. We love hearing from you guys. Great messages. Uh, a lot of a lot of people that have been listening for a long time out there, they're listening, they're hearing this number, they're thinking, should I call? Yes. Now is the time for you to call 803-563-7169. Now for the latest in South Carolina. Currently, the spread of COVID-19 is widespread, ongoing, and not contained, according to data from the Department of Health and Environmental Control. There have been 13,716 total deaths, and currently there are 897,152 total cases being reported across all 46 counties as of October 29th at 4 p.m. Our percent positive rate is 5%. Currently, 650 people are hospitalized with COVID-19. 196 are in intensive care and 124 are in ventilators. Seven children are hospitalized with COVID-19, four are in intensive care, and one is on a ventilator. Right now, 54.8% of eligible South Carolinians, or 2.35 million, are fully vaccinated. Let's lead off politics with some big 2022 campaign news. State Superintendent of Education Molly Spearman announced that she will not run for a third term next year. Spearman said in part, Until the end of my term in January 2023, I will continue to work diligently to help us rise out of the pandemic stronger than before while advocating for the needs of our students, educators, and families. The announcement comes as Spearman navigated the state's education system through months of uncertainty due to the COVID-19 pandemic. She handled squabbles and political fights over when to return students to the classrooms, mask mandates, and more. The pandemic continues to stress teachers who are leaving the profession even as Spearman has worked to increase salaries during her tenure and as a result of the massive teacher protest in May 2019 that brought more than 10,000 teachers and supporters to the Statehouse grounds to fight for better funding and policies. Spearman's replaced dangerous, outdated school buses and worked to get the state's massive school bus fleet back into a proper replacement rotation. Several school districts have consolidated under her leadership and more continue to do so, helping streamline services, especially in smaller rural counties. State Republican Party Chairman Drew McKissick said, We are grateful for her contributions to our state and party and wish her well in this next chapter. Spearman made it through a wild 2014 primary, and with education issues mixed with pandemic politics, it's not surprising that she's making this decision especially after 40 years in public service, with the last 18 months being arguably the hardest. She'll still lead the agency as it directs record federal funding from COVID-19 relief bills, totaling some $3 billion in what she has called transformational funding, and will supplant her legacy. 
Moving on, the Department of Justice settled the civil cases surrounding the Mother Emanuel Amy Church shooting. The $88 million settlement will resolve claims by 14 plaintiffs, alleging that the FBI was negligent when it failed to prohibit the sale of a gun by a licensed firearms dealer to Dylan Roof, a self-proclaimed white supremacist who wanted to start a race war. The families of the Emanuel Nine, as well as the five survivors who were inside the church at the time of the shooting, sued the government seeking to recover for wrongful death and physical injuries arising from the shooting. They asserted that the FBI's National Instant Criminal Background Check System failed to timely discover that Roof's felony drug conviction prohibited him from purchasing a 45 caliber pistol from Shooter's Choice in West Columbia. According to the FBI, the background check examiner who evaluated Roof's request to buy the gun never saw the arrest report because the wrong arresting agency was listed on the list rap sheet that she reviewed. Plaintiffs allege that because of this, Roof was able to purchase the handgun that he used to commit the massacre. For those killed in the shooting, the settlements range from $6 million to $7.5 million per claimant. For the survivors, the settlements are for $5 million per claimant. Next up, Governor Henry McMaster continues to propose major investments based on how he wishes the $2.5 billion in federal COVID relief money should be spent. In addition to previously announced transportation infrastructure projects, such as moving up the widening of I-26 between Charleston and Columbia, as well as investing in the I-73 project to Myrtle Beach, McMaster now wants lawmakers to put $500 million to much-needed water and sewer infrastructure projects throughout the state. Here's the governor. We can ensure that South Carolina will have the workforce, the infrastructure, the intellectual capital, the environmental assets, and the quality of life necessary to complete, compete nationally and globally all across our state for jobs and investment for generations to come. That's why we're here. Under the proposal, the Rural Infrastructure Authority would administer the $500 million in funding based on three factors, including economic development by using a county's unemployment rate and per capita income. The lower the county's score, the higher the tier. Better infrastructure means companies can actually build facilities and create jobs in those counties. Public health will also be a determining factor, especially for water and wastewater systems that are not currently in compliance with state regulations. And regionalization of water and sewer systems will also help determine where money goes. Now, if this is something you're thinking, well, I live in Greenville, I live in Charleston, I live in Columbia, and this doesn't affect me. Well, it affects all of us, folks. And this is something I saw firsthand when working in Florence. When the city took over the dilapidated water and sewer system miles away in Timminsville, which had run afoul with state and federal regulators and low water pressure was threatening life safety in the town, as well as operations at its biggest employer, Honda Manufacturing. So we know many of these rural towns and cities just don't have enough tax base or state funding, and they can't raise taxes any further to support the needed investments in this critical infrastructure, which leads to people leaving these towns and causing some bigger problems. So we will see what the General Assembly will do with this money when they return in January, and if they'll grant the governor his wish list. And real quick before we go, JewishInsider.com reports that House Majority Whip Jim Clyburn warned on Wednesday night that his party is not currently positioned to maintain its majorities in the House and Senate in the 2022 midterm elections due to divisions among the party's various factions. Here's what Clyburn said. We are not going to do what we need to do next year until we build enough intestinal fortitude to start operating a little outside or beyond our comfort zones. This is what Clyburn told a virtual audience from the Charleston Jewish Foundation. He continued by saying, We're not there yet. I'm hopeful that we can get there. Will we ever get there? That remains to be seen. 
So, climate change. Have you heard about this? Apparently, it's not so great. Yeah, I've been learning about it, too. The big United Nations Climate Change Summit, COP26, is underway this weekend, and it's something that we'll be talking about more in depth soon. But the United States is trying to reduce its carbon footprint because it's <laughs> massive. And greenhouse gas emissions as well, which contribute to a warming planet causing a multitude of problems and even deaths. President Joe Biden has set an ambitious goal of having half of all new cars sold in 2030 be electric. In August, executives from the big U.S. three auto companies joined Biden at the White House, pledging that 40 to 50 percent of their new car sales would be electric by the end of the decade, according to The New York Times. This is because gas-powered vehicles are the biggest single source of greenhouse gases in the country, producing more than a quarter of our total emissions. But EVs, electric vehicles, rely on the country's underinvested power grid, which is fed more and more by cleaner natural gas, nuclear, and renewables like solar, rather than carbon-heavy coal. In fact, natural gas alone produces 50% less carbon dioxide emissions than coal. So, some news there for you. But you're wondering, what is all the point of this, Gavin? Why are you telling me all these things? Well, yes, it's good for the environment, but so far, only 4,400 vehicles in the state are electric, according to registration data. In June, less than 4% of cars and trucks sold in the country were electric or hybrids. But what would a full switch to EV look like in South Carolina? Can we even produce enough energy? Is our grid equipped to handle such an influx in demand? Will there be enough charging stations across the state? Big fear right there. Now, these were all questions at the center of a Senate subcommittee hearing this week, and testimony from automotive industry and energy sector insiders was a bit eye-opening as we hurtle toward this electric future. Robert Cowick, who is over the Electric Cooperatives of South Carolina, a statewide service and trade association for the co-ops, gives just some insight on the challenges ahead. The National Academy of Sciences, Engineering and Medicine wrote this year that electricity generation must substantially expand to fuel a greater share of energy use in transportation, building space heating, and low and medium temperature industrial process heat as well as produce hydrogen from electrolysis and even power direct air capture. And they give us the numbers that I'm getting ready to use. We've got to expand energy availability by 10 to 20% by 2030. So as we think about that generation we've got, it's got to go up 10 to 20%. And this is the big number. We talk about being at net zero by 2050 on terms of CO2 emissions. You've got to expand energy, but in some cases, 170% to totally electrify our economy, not just the transportation sector, but if you think about all the natural gas used by some manufacturers in their processes, they're gonna to have to substitute electricity for that. Every hot water heater that's now natural gas would be substituted out for electricity. With that total shift, you're gonna need up to 170% more. This is the other thing sometimes people miss. You've gotta build transmission. When you build new generation, or when you use generation differently, you've got to build new transmission. And we're all familiar with NIMBY, not in my backyard. It's difficult to build transmission. So as we make this transition, the same academy base said that we need a 60% increase in by, 20, by, uh, by 2050 long distance transmission may be more than triple. Okay, I know Robert's voice was a bit hoarse. They even brought him some water during that testimony, but he only took a sip. I know. But very interesting things, some big things ahead that we need to put in place as we move toward these electrification upgrades. 
But again, have you thought about what a 32 gas pump station equivalent for electric vehicles would cost or the energy drain on the grid? Just think about this, just one station. Cost estimates done by an engineer with the co-ops said it would be around $5 million to build. And at peak times at full capacity, that one EV charging station would equal the demand of 1,600 homes. That charging station alone would require four transformers and a substation, according to estimates from the co-ops. So a lot of work there, a lot of testimony, as lawmakers begin looking at what needs to be done to start prepping for the electric demand in our future. From the ground to the skies. We're talking about planes now. But Boeing eh, did not have a great third quarter. And a big reason for that is because of the issues with the 787 Dreamliner, which is manufactured here in North Charleston. Though right now that output is only two planes per month due to the halt in delivery while inspections and rework continues. The problems with the plane have cost the aerospace giant about $1 billion. That's with a B. And helped contribute to the $132 million it lost on $15.3 billion in revenue this past quarter. Here's Boeing CEO David Calhoun on the company's earning call this week. As to the 787 generally, we're conducting inspections and rework, and we continue to engage in detailed discussions with the FAA regarding the required actions for resuming deliveries. As we mentioned last quarter, we continue to reprioritize production resources to support the inspection and the rework and are currently producing at a rate of approximately two airplanes per month. Once deliveries resume, we expect to return to five per month over time. Keep in mind, exact timing of deliveries and future production rates will depend upon inspections and rework. Ongoing customer and supplier conversations, production stability, and our activities with the FAA. Again, our regulators will make the ultimate determination, but we believe we have a clear line of sight to the steps ahead, and we are continuing to make steady progress to begin delivering airplanes to our customers. So they're already doing those inspections with the FAA for the planes, but on top of all this, a supplier also told Boeing that it used the wrong titanium alloy in certain parts. So they're checking those out as well. Now, with a broader perspective, Calhoun still expects passenger traffic to return to 2019 levels in 2023 to 2024. As for demand of the 787, well, he said that's where the irony is. Uh, as I said, and I reiterate, the irony of the whole story is it's the most utilized wide body out there. Um, it's delivering on efficiency. It's delivering on everything we promised. It's got cargo capability, which has been an important factor in the way it, uh, the, the role that it's played. Um, it's just, uh, I think the demand's going to be quite robust. And I think as we get to the second half of next year, that, well, that will begin, begin to play out for all of us. But uh, at this moment in time, I, I just can't be real definitive until we commence deliveries. So we'll be keeping up with that Boeing story as it continues. But as we go, let's look at some big data here. Real gross domestic product, or GDP, increased at an annual rate of 2% in the third quarter, according to the advance estimate released by the Bureau of Economic Analysis. Now, this is lower than estimates by some economists. In the second quarter, real GDP increased 6.7%. That increase in the third quarter GDP reflected the continued economic impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. A resurgence of COVID-19 cases resulted in new restrictions and delays in the reopening of establishments in some parts of the country. So again, all that playing a factor there on what the GDP did this past quarter.
The Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security reports that the FDA's Vaccines and Related Biological Products Advisory Committee recommended an emergency use authorization for the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine to be available for 28 million U.S. children aged 5 to 11 years old. The vote was 17 in favor, with one abstention. The FDA is expected to follow the panel's advice in the coming days, although it is not bound to do so. Now, after that decision, the U.S. CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices will take up the issue at its next meeting, scheduled for November 2nd through the 3rd. The CDC director would then issue the agency's final guidance, potentially making pediatric vaccinations available by the end of next week. So parents, keep your eyes peeled, baby. Moving on. Now, last time we talked with the Associated Press's Meg Kennard, besides in the wind-down section, I was visiting her in Houston a few weeks after her 12-hour double mastectomy operation, and right before she started two days of radiation therapy. You've no doubt been following along with her posts on social media and know that she's cancer-free but still recovering from her treatment. Since it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, I had her on this week in South Carolina to discuss her journey. She starts here by talking about what the weeks were like after we last spoke with her in early September. Following that, I had um, 44 rounds of radiation. So that was twice a day for 22 treatment days. That's a protocol recommended by MD Anderson specific to inflammatory breast cancer cases. It was very rigorous. It targeted not only the area that was involved in surgery, but also my supraclavicular area on the left-hand side where there were still tumorous um, lymph nodes that were too risky to remove during surgery. So they were treated with curative radiation. Um, and that was a, a very arduous process going in twice a day, um, feeling feeling pretty crispy, <laughs> still yeah. am. Um, the effects from that go for about two weeks after the last treatment. So I have about a week to go before my skin really begins to heal. Um, but that was the end of my active treatment at MD Anderson. And the day after I got my final treatment, I came on home. Yeah. Um, I didn't come home though before being admitted into a clinical trial for immunotherapy which is um, a new class of drugs that is used to treat some types of cancer already, but is not FDA approved for inflammatory breast cancer cases such as mine. So for the next two years, I will continue to go to Houston every three weeks to receive IV transfusion of a medicine that hopefully will train my immune system to stave off any future recurrence of cancer. In any cancer, that's a possibility, but for inflammatory breast cancer, the chances are high, particularly in the first two years post-treatment. So for those next two years, I'm fortunate enough to be able to avail myself of that possibility. And then depending on the results of the study, it could become approved for more patients throughout the country and the world. So that's pretty exciting for me too. Yeah, that's wonderful news to hear, especially when you're talking about that recurrence rate, which we you know, obviously don't want to think about, but that's always a, re a reality when it comes to cancer. But Meg, we have about two minutes left. I want to ask you just what you've learned over these past few months with dealing with healthcare, with dealing with the medical field and having to deal with cancer and diagnoses and, tra and traveling across the country to get treatment. Uh, wh what have you learned? This is something that we didn't expect you'd be dealing with a year ago, and then here you are going through the ringer of it. Uh, what's your takeaway? My big takeaway, in addition to what I mentioned earlier about how a lot of these opportunities just aren't possible for all people, and that's something that I feel we as a society should be looking to really change, 
A big takeaway for me personally is that anything is possible for an amount of time. It was very difficult to be away from my family, my children in particular, for almost three months to be outside my comfort zone, to be away from the people mostly that are so dear to me. But knowing why I was there, that I was in Texas to literally be fighting for my life and to be receiving top-notch care. My only job while I was there, I did do some reporting. It's true. The Associated Press has been wonderful to give me that flexibility. But my primary job was just to take care of myself Mm -hmm. and to do what I needed to do for my treatment. And so knowing that, knowing why I was there, that I was there temporarily so I could come home to my family more permanently and for a longer time, that helped me mentally get through it. It was difficult, but we are all able to get through things, keeping perspective at the forefront of exactly why we were being given these challenges. And so that's really what helped me get through it. Some good advice there too. Did you have any more advice maybe for women uh, who are thinking maybe I should get examined or what they should do if they just got an initial diagnosis of breast cancer at this point? Any advice that you'd like to give or myths you'd like to dispel ever since this journey you've been on? The biggest thing is to continue to advocate for yourself. Nobody knows your body better than you do. If you take a bit of information to your doctor and feel that you've been dismissed, go talk to another doctor. That is very possible. Don't be afraid of stepping on anyone's toes or making them feel uncomfortable or saying, oh, I should just trust whatever my doctors have told me. I have utmost respect for the medical profession. I'm the child of two doctors myself, and there are many other physicians in my family. So I'm not saying to distrust everybody, but nobody knows you better than you. So absolutely, advocate for yourself, push for answers. If you get one that doesn't sound right, push for a different one. She's a strong, strong woman working and parenting with all the pains that come with a bad sunburn for days. Oof, it's a lot she's dealing with, but she's doing it with a smile and that that wonderful wit that she has that we love her for. But like you heard her say, soon that skin will begin to heal better in the coming days. And just a week after I first saw her when she first got home, her skin was looking much better. She's a trooper and even threw out the first pitch at the congressional softball game this past week in Washington with her family by her side. Yeah, baby, she threw a strike. You know it. Welcome to the wind down section, our little break from the news, even though sometimes we talk about it. But we talk about life during the pandemic. We talk about fashion faux pas. We talk about parenting, which I don't have much to say or add to, but I love hearing your stories. Tell us your stories. 803-563-7169. You make my job easier when you tell us your stories. Sometimes <laughs> I need a break from telling all the stories, people. Okay. Okay. I, Gavin is Gavin. Mommy's tired. All right. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I can't. I can't Go play I can't, outside. I can't even compare myself to what some of those parents and some of our listeners are dealing with out there. But I'm tired too. Sometimes I'm just kidding. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But at. Great to, great to see you, pal. Great to talk to you. Oh, great. oh my God. So good hey, to see you, bud. I'm told we have a, a good voicemail here for us. Yeah, we got a voicemail from someone who's been waiting a long time long to time. unload this, this, this hot heater that he's got for us right here. So uh, without any without any ado, Drop further it. ado, Drop let's it. hit it. Drop it. <laughs> hey, Gavin and AT. This is David from Columbia. I am a longtime listener Went to a live recording years ago in Five Points, maybe in the White Mule. I don't totally remember where it was, but have loved listening to the pod for several years now and uh, been waiting to call in and finally thought this was my moment. So I got two things for you. 
The first is uh wanted to give a shout-out to Bradley Fuller because he is an absolute standout at South Carolina Public Radio and just thinks he thinks he needs a little love from the lead fam. And then the second is in a recent pod, y'all were talking about belts, and it reminded me of probably the most foolish argument I've ever been in. I'm a pretty wiry guy, and so sometimes for me to get pants that fit me, uh, pants that are long enough, I have to buy a waist size up from what I should actually wear. And because of that, I always wear a belt. I never wear a pants without a belt because otherwise they're falling off. And I said this to my roommate a few years ago, and he said that he hated belts and he thought they were completely useless and that we should not wear them. Well, 45 minutes later, we were, we were still arguing about this. And it was about that point that he said wearing a belt is like wearing a bike helmet while you're driving a car, that it's completely unnecessary and we shouldn't do this. And he wound up sitting in his car in a bike helmet trying to explain to me that this was not necessary and this was a dumb idea. And this went on for, I'm not kidding, 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, we have been made fun of by friends for years about this. Um, but thought y'all would enjoy uh, hearing my belt stories. Also, I would agree with uh, Ben Davis that Crocs are absolutely terrible and we should never wear them. Uh, hope y'all are doing well, and thanks for all you do. Bye. David from Columbia, love to hear you calling in. I think I remember seeing you at uh, White Mule. I'm just kidding, but that was the White Mule, January 2019. Yep. That was one of our live tapings. Ugh, got to get back on the that road. Was, I think that was the biggest party uh, taping we ever had. It was wild. <laughs> it was a big time. <laughs> it's a big one. It, it, they were just like opening that space too, so there's a lot of moving parts, but we, we mm-hmm. all pulled it together. I think they had two bartenders. I think one walked out. <laughs> it was tricky. Yeah, one uh, just it was tricky, yeah. It's hard to do those without the proper amount of motivation. But um, David, let's just start off by saying let's maybe it's time for some custom pants. You know, if you have to buy a, uh-huh. a waist size up just to get the length right, I don't I don't like that for him. We, we I think he needs some bespoke items. But uh, yeah, uh, to, yes. to the argument, David, to the argument, um, I really do enjoy that. Listening to Gavin and I talk reminds you of the dumbest mm-hmm. argument that you yes. ever had. I very much enjoy that. That's the, the That's energy we're that we're bringing to your life. And um, That's how like, we're getting people I, off the sidelines here. Your friend, I'm glad you, you called in here and uh, dragged your friend. I love this. Next, you could call in and dox him if you want. Um, <laughs> but also... I, I'm surprised he didn't go the suspender route. You know, ah, like what's his thoughts yes. on suspenders? I'm not. I'm not a suspender man. I'm not a no, Southern no. lawyer. Lawyer, uh, but oh, not lawyer. anymore. Yeah. Oh, I got disbarred. That's a different story. Well, Gavin, you can only <laughs> practice at sea. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's true. Lawyers. Yeah, and then yeah. I'm wearing. You know, it's just a whole different look at sea. It's his whole thing. A lot of stripes. Uh, but I agree <laughs> with what you're saying. I mean, I, I, belts are completely functional. We agree about this. At yeah, now, you need a was, belt. If this was a debate about neckties, I could entertain that. Sure. Gavin, Gavin, he likes he likes uh, a few buttons undone. Yeah. Yeah. But if I'm, I'm on not... if I'm on the television, I have to have a tie. I'd like to have a tie on when I'm on the TV. Mm-hmm. Or when I'm in a formal setting, like I, I enjoy ties. They help, uh, you know, change things up from the blue and the white and the black and the gray. And it's like, oh, you know, get a little love there. But the belt, the belt is just there. In my opinion, you need it there. The only time you can't wear it, the only time you don't need a belt, I was telling you this, this is like if I'm wearing a suit and right now I'm, I'm missing my black belt so if i want to see my black belt please return it to me 
Um, <laughs> care of Gavin Jackson's. <laughs> I don't like wearing that much black anyway, but I have a couple black suits. But black's my color, pants, man. Come on. Since they fit so well, I don't need to wear a belt. But sometimes you, you do, do you, to you, compensate. Yes. So. You, you don't wear a belt often. It's true. But also, I mean, Bradley Fuller, yeah, come on. Bradley's my boy. Come on. He, this he, isn't his podcast. You sent him a message. <laughs> <laughs> no, he'll probably hear he's it. He's my so. Spoleto bud. He's he's great. We yeah. had him on a wind down. Oh, we had him on a trivia question back yeah, in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He right? felt the hot seat when Russ McKinney's laying down that trivia. Yeah, that's, that was right. <laughs> But yeah, but yeah, he's my of... very good friend, and he deserves all the recognition that he gets. I love the boy. He's too nice, and I make him jaywalk because he's too good. <laughs> Breaking all the rules. That's right. He's a, he's a wild man. But anyway, Gavin, I committed quite a faux pas this week, all right? Narrow. Narrow. No, it's narrow. true. So uh, my favorite band recently released the, a new album. Between the Barrier to Me released a new album, Colors 2. And so... I, I ordered all this stuff, right? I ordered a sweatshirt of it. I, I ordered it. Yeah, I, I got some merch. I want to support my favorite band because that's how they really yes. get uh, money, you know, directly to them. So mm -hmm. I bought a sweatshirt. I bought a CD because, I again, I drive a 2002 truck. It only has a CD player. It skips all the time, but it plays oh, CDs. Hmm. But uh, uh, so then my local record shop here just got that record in. Mm-hmm. And so I, I messaged them, they held it for me, and I went to go pick it up, right? And so I go in, I pay, the guy's looking at me a little weird, but I'm like, whatever, sure, One, uh, give, me, give me a record, I'm going to get out of here. And then when I sat back in the car, I realized that I had purchased the record wearing the sweatshirt of the record. <laughs> oh, boy. Which is, I mean, is there anything worse than that? I, yes. It, it's wearing the Myrtle Beach sweatshirt that you bought on Myrtle Beach while you're on your trip and Myrtle Beach. Yes. I felt like that was the same thing. Like yes. I felt that I was doing that and I was mortified, you know? Like you can do if, it ironically, but you were not. It was just a it just happened to be you're just so amped up, you know, it just happened. It was it was brutal. I I wanted to I, I mean I Because you I lost your like credibility in the eyes I lost of this all final my store, man. Yeah. Yes. Oh, the oh. comic book store guy is never going to uh, look at me the same way. <laughs> oh. Did you just discover them? <laughs> uh, uh. Uh, me thinks you're mm, a little too excited, my boy. <laughs> no, no, I'm cool. I'm cool. <laughs> well, yeah, tell us about your faux pas out there, folks. I mean, this happens. Sometimes it happens. Belts, record releases, sweatshirts while on vacation. I mean, you, you really just can't wear that stuff when you're on vacation, too. You can't, you can't, you can't do that. If you're walking around with an I Love New York shirt, on in new, in york, new york you're gonna get mugged you know yes like you you don't you, do that it, is folks. that is an absolute mugged. crosshair on you you know or like in no dc one... when they wear like the fbi hats or the <laughs> yeah. cia oh do you yeah. do you work for them is that why uh -huh. you're wearing that uh -huh. you're supporting yeah. okay. government bureaucracy love that look you're shouting that you don't know what you're doing you're here wrong <laughs> you're, you're in a city you don't know and yeah. uh <laughs> you're gonna get mugged that's how i felt i felt like like uh someone in times square that paid mm -hmm. the the hobo elmo <laughs> to take a picture with them i was like oh my god what have i I done. Well, you're allowed to have one or two lapses. It doesn't happen very often. God, it's the worst. You don't wear the shirt of the band you're going to see. You know what I mean? Unless you're going to see the band. <laughs> no, you're not supposed to wear it. You're supposed to wear another shirt that gives you cred. 
Oh, well, at, even at the show? I mean, I understand even going to the, the store. Show. Oh, Even at the show. You don't mm. wear, if you're going to a Metallica well, uh, show, you don't wear a Metallica Well, shirt. you're not going to go to a Britney Spears concert wearing a Christina Aguilera shirt. I'll tell you that right now. But maybe you would to be like, and, hey, I'm also still no. cool, you know? I got range. That's like wearing a Clemson shirt to a Carolina game for the heck of it. For the heck of it. <laughs> <laughs> Who's who? Or in sync shirt to a Backstreet Boys concert. Who's I mean, who? This is a, who's this who is... in these scenarios to you? Who's Clemson? I don't want nothing. No, I don't want to talk anymore. These <laughs> 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 are all of our millennial listeners out there. Call in with your experiences. Let us know this is a safe space. Um, you know, we we support belts here. We hate Crocs. It's safe. It's okay. I like Crocs. I can't get on that page, but I do anyway, like Crocs. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> no, it's okay. They're all accepted. Oh, yeah, really quick with the Crocs AT, I sent you this. Balenciaga has released $625 for a pair of Crocs with a heel. $800 for a Croc boot. Yes. Balenciaga, the fashion home of the big chunky shoe, the OG there, which we all came around to, but now I I cannot... I couldn't imagine spending six hundred dollars on a pair of Crocs with a. Meg was disgusted. Deal. We all, I showed it to her, and I said, "This is a rubber stamp from the fashion industry Ugh. on my my Croc love, right? This yeah, is an endorsement I mean, of of the it crowd." You know, they're not always right. Okay, they're not this always. This is right, tough. Guys. This is tough for you guys, uh, not me. This is great for me. Vindication, <laughs> this is the credibility if that you needed, and now it's you're validated. Yeah, I got it. I got it. <laughs> we will be. Uh, <laughs> You know, help us raise some money to buy these beautiful Crocs for AT for Christmas for his wife. Oh, I would never wear them. You got to keep them in the box. They're only oh, going yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Only going up. <laughs> anyway, send us pictures of your Halloween costumes. Let us know what you are. Let yes. us know your faux pas. Call in. Anyway, have a good weekend. Have a good Halloween. Sponsored by Balenciaga. And thanks again for listening to the pod, folks. Like AT said, show us your appreciation by leaving us a voicemail at 803-563-7169 or a review on iTunes. Also, send us some stuff on our social medias. We'd love to see how you're doing stuff for us to talk about. We love it. Love it. Stay up to date with the latest news on SCETV.org and SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. And don't forget to support your local newspapers. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. You want you want me to clap or anything for you? Would that make a difference? Should I clap at least? for You want to clap? Give me a clap? Yeah, go ahead. Give it a clap. Love it. <laughs> Was that good enough? I love that. Was that a good clap?